0: The first reading is taken from John chapter 3, verses 22 to 30, and can be found on page 1066 of the few Bibles. John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside, where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon, near Salim. Because there was plenty of water, and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This is before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him Rabbi that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan the one who testified about well he is baptizing and everyone is going to him to this John replied a man can receive only what is given to him from heaven you yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Christ but am sent ahead of him The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The second reading is taken from Philippians chapter one, verses 18b to uh, 30, and can be found on page 1178 of your uh, Bibles. So that's Philippians 1, verses 18b to 30. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know That you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Good morning everybody. It would be a tremendous encouragement to me if you would keep your Bibles open at Philippians chapter 1 as we dig into that together. I want to start this morning by asking you a question. What are you living for? What is the most important thing in your life? Right now, today, right here. Who is the most important person in your life? What is the one thing that if it were taken away from you, it would make life not worth living? Life would fall apart. Since the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, had become a Christian, everything had been taken away from him. He puts it like this in uh, 2 Corinthians. I've been in prison frequently. I've been flogged severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received the four from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was battered by rods. I've been pelted with stones to the point of death. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. There's been the constant threat of danger moving over my head. I've often gone without sleep. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Paul has been stripped of everything, at, uh, f- everything from one time or another. So his home, his health, his friends, his loved ones, his freedom... And now he writes to the Philippians, and his freedom has been taken away once again. He's in chains, behind bars. So for those of you here this morning thinking that Christianity is a psychological crutch to avoid the harsh realities of life, or a way to get healthy and wealthy, then clearly the Apostle Paul must have been doing something wrong. I wonder if you found yourself on death row, writing your last kind of will and testament to your friends and family, your loved ones. What would you say? What would you say to them if this was your last letter? Well, Paul says down in verse 18, he says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my salvation. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. It's like all the things that consume our thinking. The stuff that matters most of all to us. Cash, comfort, our career, sex, status, our security, fame, our family, friendship, even life itself. Paul says, no, that's not the most important thing for me. That's not what I'm living for. Paul says, it's not cash. It's not comfort. It's not my career. But it's Christ. I'm living for Christ. Christ. And he's absolutely confident that if you live for Christ, you'll never be put to shame. Paul says in verse 21, it's a great verse, this is one to kind of have tattooed on your eyelids to remember. Uh, He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die uh, is gain. All of Paul's eggs are in one basket, if you like, and Paul is living for Christ. And because Paul lives for Christ, everything that he goes through in life, everything that he endures, everything he experiences, serves to that end. It serves to advance the gospel of Christ. Look at verse 12 in chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? Even Paul's chains have become his friends. His chains have helped to advance the gospel. Just imagine being kind of uh, shackled up to the Apostle Paul, probably one of the greatest evangelists who's ever walked the planet. That person's constantly going to hear about Jesus. He died and rose again. Do you know that? Jesus is amazing. Look what he's done. He's healed people. Dead people came back to life. Jesus is the king. He's the king of glory. Those people that were shackled up to Uh, to Paul, would have constantly heard over and over and over again what the Lord Jesus Christ had done. And because of his chains, he's encouraging other Christians (coughs) to defend the gospel and to preach about Christ all the more courageously, all the more fearlessly, all the more eagerly, and Christ is being preached, and Paul, he's rejoicing. So I think the application of this passage becomes quite clear to us at the start. Can we let go of some of those things that we're clinging to most tightly? Security, comfort, popularity, or whatever else it is. And can we really say, like the Apostle Paul, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die, well, that's gain. The Apostle Paul had the constant threat of danger looming over his head. He had no idea when he was going to present his case before the emperor. Paul's immediate future was totally uncertain. He didn't know. But that's why Christ was more than a way of life to Paul. Christ was also a way of death. Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ because there's nothing that I value more, nothing on this world that I treasure greater than him. And to die... Well, that's game, because I'm going to get to be with Christ forever. Well, that's incredible, isn't it? What a kind of mindset to have. It's amazing to think like that. For if living for Christ, if that's what gives you the most uh, joy, not food or fitness or uh, family or pleasure or power or even uh, freedom from prison, if Christ is what gives you the most joy, well, then nothing at all can rob you of that joy and the worst case scenario your own death well actually that's the best case scenario because you're going to be with Christ and that's brilliant Paul says for me to live is Christ and to die well that's gain I feel like I've gone a bit echoey Um, let me find the end of this rope there is an end here somewhere okay I want you to imagine that this rope uh, is uh, a rope of your life uh, and, and, and it's, it's an eternal rope uh, and, it, and it's going to exist forever uh, this is your existence here on earth imagine this kind of white bit uh, is your life now we're at various points on that uh, little kind of white spectrum um, and all of this is eternity that's going to, going to go on forever and ever and what's so crazy is that people live so intensely for this bit here, they work really, really hard for this bit, so that when they get to this bit here, they can be really comfortable and enjoy life. But what a lot of people forget about is that actually there's all this. You're going to continue living forever and ever. You are eternal. Uh, we're, we're eternal beings. So, what about all this? I wonder as we kind of peer onto the brink of all eternity. We stand there and just gaze a little, peek over. What does this look like for you? What does that really look like? We've got millions and millions of years of lifetimes uh, to come. And what we do now, how we act in this bit, the decisions that we make now, well, that's going to affect all of this. It's going to affect all of this and all of this. It's just going to keep going and going and going Paul says St Jude's Church what we need to do is put on our eternity spectacles and have a good look uh, at the promises that God has made to us so Paul says for me to live is Christ and to die is gain to live is Christ it's fruitful labour we're told in this passage joy in the Lord Jesus Christ and to die, well that's gain because we're going to be with our greatest love for all eternity and I think if we're honest with ourselves, St. Jude's, that's often not how we feel, we don't feel like that very often, many of us would want to rewrite verse 21 and say something like well for me to live, that's finding the perfect partner Uh, that's perhaps enjoying a satisfying career for a long time or uh, being respected by people around me and to die well to die would mean to lose all of those things for me to, to live is having the great career and 2.4 kids uh, the pension plan uh, the second home in the sun and to die well it's to trade all that in for a small wooden box but the apostle Paul he's keen to tell us that there is another way but there is no way of living our life now that death will not entirely destroy There's no way of living now that death will not completely destroy. Mel's granddad used to say to her, you can't take it with you. That's true, isn't it? Nothing that we've got now we can take with us except one thing. There's one way that we can live. There's one way we can live that death will not ruin. And that has to live for Christ. Because when we're living for Christ and when death does catch up with us, that's brilliant, isn't it? Because we're going to be rewarded with the greatest joy. We're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. And we're going to spend all eternity getting to know him better and enjoying his presence. For Jesus came and he went to the cross. And he died on the cross in our place for our sin. To put us in right relationship with God. He endured the humiliation of being battered and beaten and put on a wooden cross. He bled and died so that you and I could know what it means to have a relationship uh, with God. And that King of glory, he's the one who's calling us who believe heavenward in Christ Jesus to the place where death and suffering no longer have any claim on us. Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I wonder, can we say that with confidence this morning? Secondly, knowing Jesus gives us new motivation. When we understand who Jesus is and what he's done and his identity becomes clear to us, once we've tasted and seen how good the Lord is, then that will provide us for the motivation for whatever happens in life. Uh, We can, verse 27, conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Apparently, uh, the queen mother would say to her two daughters, uh, Princess Margaret and Elizabeth at the time, before the dinner parties, she'd say, royal children, royal manners. Obviously, she was concerned about the food fights that were going to occur during the kind of Friday night uh, dinner parties. Royal children, royal manners. Now, royal manners did not make them royal children. They were royal children. So, they needed to act like it. And they needed to, to, to live out what they already were. So, for the Christian here this morning, God has adopted you into his family. You've been welcomed into God's family. You are royal children. That's amazing. Now, as royal children, conduct yourselves in a life, uh, uh, in a manner worthy of the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. Verse 27. So what does that look like, Paul? Can you help us out here? He says, uh, uh, verse 27, Stand firm in one spirit, contend as one man for the faith of the gospel, and don't be frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Stand firm, battle as one man, and don't be afraid. I don't know if uh, any of you have seen the film uh, Gladiator with um, uh, Russell Crowe. And Russell Crowe plays uh, the... Uh, uh, the Roman general in Caesar's army called Maximus. Uh, and Maximus, uh, through, through a scene of unfortunate events, uh, becomes a slave. Uh, and he's with a group of slaves, and they're about to engage their enemy in battle in the Colosseum in Rome. And he says, he says to his comrades, he says, We've got a better chance of survival if we work together. We stay together, we survive. We come together as one. And the men do, they come together as one, they interlock their shields, they put their spears out and then when these chariots come they jab the wheels of the chariots and the thing falls over and they become great victors at, at the end. And that's a little bit like what God's plan is for his church, for his people. We're in this together as a family, as a big family. It's kind of God's strategy and it's a winning strategy that he's designed for us. And not only that, But God, the God who created everything, the promise of the Bible is that if you know him, he's got your back. And if he's got your back, who could possibly come uh, against you? Who should we fear? In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, uh, Jesus said, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body uh, in hell. So the encouragement for us this morning is to Put on our armor to take our stand on the battleground uh, with uh, the sword of uh, faith and the, uh, uh, the sword of the spirit and join in the fight. And battle together because being a Christian is difficult, it's hard, uh, it's challenging. And that's why we're to keep coming back to church and keep encouraging each other and learning from God's word together. So we can spur one another on in love and good deeds. The Christian life, says Paul, uh, in verse 30, is it's a struggle. It's a struggle that you saw that I had. His chains. and kind of People turning their back on him, treating him really badly because he follows Jesus. Uh, and he continued to struggle, uh, even uh, at this point here in Philippians. So the Christian life is a struggle. And I think the first thing to say is, let's not be surprised about that. It's hard to be a Christian. And when suffering comes to you, particularly because you've made a stand for Jesus, don't think anything odd's happening to you. We're to be ready for it. We're to expect it. And I think in today's society, being a Christian is going to be quite challenging. And many people are going to come against us. Uh, Many people are not going to like what we say. If we say that Jesus is the only way to God, that's going to upset people. That's going to get people's backs up. And there are many other things that the Christian faith says that's very exclusive. And if we stand on those promises, if we believe who Jesus is, and we say that to people, we may well experience persecution uh, and suffering. So the promise to the Christian is not a promise that life will go smoothly, but for a lot of the time it does, and that's amazing. But it says here in verse 29 um, that it's been granted to you On behalf of Christ, not only to believe, but also to suffer for him. So it's been granted for us to believe and to suffer. And before any great revival in the church, before any big revival, suffering came. We don't need to look much further than the first century uh, and what happened uh, then. That's the pattern. It was the pattern for Jesus, it was the pattern for the disciples. And now we're seeing it's the pattern for the Apostle Paul. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. So we take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. And that's difficult, but with God's help, uh, we can do it. So becoming a Christian is being prepared to walk the way of death every day of our lives. Now there's probably countless other places where we could uh, turn to. I'm just going to read a little bit from J.C. Ryle, the five English reformers, thinking about uh, at the start of the Anglican Church. And um, uh, this is uh, about a couple of bishops uh, called Hugh Latimer uh, and uh, Nicholas Ridley. Uh, and um, these these two guys were uh, were treated really badly because they were Christians, because they put their trust in Jesus, and they stood up because there was a lot of superstition uh, way back then. Um, when, when churches would happen, uh, it, uh, church wasn't done in the common tongue, so people couldn't understand what was being said. So these guys stood up and they said no uh, to a lot of these things uh, uh, that the church was doing. And so they were um, executed for their faith. And I'm just going to read a little bit of this. Uh, it, was, it was in uh, the north side of Oxford in a ditch over against Balliol College. Um, and it was on the 16th of October in 1555. Ridley came first in a furred black gown, such as was he um, that, that the bishop was to wear. After him came Latimer in a poor Bristol frieze frock. I'm not too sure what that is. doesn't sound very pleasant. I wouldn't like to wear one. Uh, all worn and his buttoned cap and his handkerchief over his head. And a long new shroud hanging over his hose down to his feet. I don't know what that is either, but I'm going to keep reading. Um, the men were compelled to listen to a sermon uh, preached against them, uh, and then they were, uh, they were then escorted out uh, to uh, where they were going to be executed. We read, the smith took a chain of iron and fastened it about Ridley's and Latimer's middle to one stake. As the smith was knocking in a staple, Ridley took the chain in his hand and said to the smith, good fellow, knock it in hard for flesh will have its course. A bag of gunpowder was tied about the neck of each man. Faggots were piled all around them, and the horrible preparations were completed. Then they brought out a faggot kindled with fire and laid it down at Ridley's feet. To whom Latimer then spake in this manner, Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. And so the fire was kindled uh, and then Ridley cries out, Lord, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. Lord, receive my spirit. And Ridley does the same. So there are lots of examples that we could go to to think about what it looks like to suffer for being a Christian. But here are two guys, right to the very point of their death, uh, they stood up and they were speaking about Jesus and it cost them their lives. They were... Preaching about Jesus, contending for the gospel, standing firm together as one man. So, the promise is not that life's going to go smoothly, but at times it does. But often there will be persecution, and we need to be ready for that. So, if it's hard for you to be a Christian in the workplace, well, actually, that's normal. That is normal. Uh, We're to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Stand firm. We don't need to be afraid of opposition. If your neighbor despises you because you're a Christian, if you're laughed at by your family, well, consider it joy to suffer for the name of Jesus. The great old hymn says, Onwards, Christian soldiers, marching us to war with the cross of Jesus going on before Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe forward into battle forward into battle see his banners go let's pray Lord God we pray that St. Jude's would be a church that contends for the gospel that stands firm on your word Please help us to be like one man, united together, willing to make a stand. Please help us to comfort those who suffer for Jesus' name. We pray for those around the world who are struggling because they're Christians. Help us to love them more and to pray for them. Help us to love and encourage each other more as we continue to meet together with each other. Stir us up by your word to live for you more fervently, more eagerly, even if we're chained for the gospel. We thank you that your word can never be chained. Transform us by the power of your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.